good to see everyone here this morning, and, and good that you made it to the right building. Sorry, we've been playing musical space for the past couple of weeks. Um, if you weren't here last week, we, the past two weeks, we were right next door on the other side of the tracks, literally, and uh, just, just at uh, Zen, uh, there's a potential that we could move there permanently in the beginning of April, so we're still praying through that and, and hoping that's going to happen, so if you'd pray with us too, we've still got some details to iron out and things like that. But I got three stools up here today. Uh, it's not an illustration, which is good, but the third Sunday of every month, um, man, we like to hear from other people. Like, we want to hear stories from people that are in our faith family because we, man, I think the more voices we can have involved, the better. Um, but also, it's just, man, stories, we're going to talk about stories a lot today. Um, and so, the, I'm not going to say their names, but the couple that are, that are going to come up today, uh, when they first started visiting with us and being our guest, um, I was trying to describe them to somebody, and they were like, who, who, who is it? I'm like, well, it's the guy that, man, he, he looks like he was probably a defensive tackle for Oklahoma. And they were like, oh, yeah, 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 I saw that guy. I saw that guy. It's a terrible description because uh, I think he was an offensive tackle, um, not for Oklahoma, but he did play football. So I'm sorry that my description was bad. But if you guys would go ahead and come on up. Um, I've got a microphone for you. Well, you didn't have this stash then. You know, I think you were stashless at the time. But if you guys would take a seat and your light's on, it, that's good. All right, right back here. It's good. Um, and so, you know, kind of, we've done this in a couple of different ways through the years. Like we've had people just come up and share their story, but, but lately kind of the way we do it, we like to do an interview. And so, you know, that includes questions. And so uh, I wanted to mess with them really bad and send them some really hard questions this week. But, I, man, I, I, I held back, and we're just sticking to the script today. So... Um, if you guys would, just introduce yourselves. That's question number one. We're the Popes. I'm Dixon. <laughs> I'm Haley. <laughs> so this is Dixon and Haley Pope. Um, and uh, tell us what you guys do for a living or how you spend your day-to-day -day lives. Um, I spend my day-to-day -day lives at home with my children. Um, they're four and two, Mills and Shep. And they're pretty awesome boys. They're, they're pretty cool. We like them. They're a mess. Uh, I sell toilets um, and plumbing wholesale, so sell to plumbers, toilets, a lot of them. That's the yep. goal, at least. So if you, you're in a business and you need toilets, this is the guy to talk to. This is also a networking event, by the way. Um, he'll have Come a table. see me after. I'll be in the back. Yep. He'll have products. No, he won't. Um, but yeah, so the popes, they do that. And so here's our main question for you guys today. Like, uh, the, they're both Christ followers. Um, it was great to sit out in the freezing cold in front of Bridge City Coffee with Dixon uh, a couple months ago, or I don't, I don't know, the time is irrelevant to me right now, but it was, I was still on a, using a walker and uh, froze, our, our, yeah, froze our walkers off out there, uh, but just to hear his story. And so they're both Christ followers, and so we're super grateful to have them in the family. Um, but the question is, like, man, how does following Christ make your day-to-day -day lives different? I think in my world, um, anybody familiar kind of with construction industry, it gets pretty sideways quick. Um, it's kind of not the prettiest of worlds. Uh, dark, I would say, it's fair. And day-to-day, uh, -day, it's kind of how can you set yourself apart? I mean, you can go hit people over the head with the Bible and see how that works, or kind of go, I, I take a different route and kind of set yourself apart by how you do things, how you carry yourself, how you're speaking, um, and set yourself apart on your work ethic, doing things well, um, following through on what you say you're gonna do. Um, and then you can kind of get into the details after that with folks, and they, it carries, it goes a long way, because I think it was last week, I had a guy called me 5.30 at night, and I was like, oh boy, 
don't want to answer this because I'm about to get more likely cussed out for something we forgot to do and, uh, as a company. And uh, instead, he went on, he goes, just listen to me. I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, boy, where is this going? And it was like a 20-minute rant about how this guy had, or customer, I shouldn't, I don't know. Don't want to do it, give him away too much in case anybody knows him. But had had a long history of, of drug problems and been off of it for a while and kind of edged it back that way. And he just wanted, just wanted to talk to me and vent to me. So... I mean, I think carrying yourself a different way and, and what you say you're going to do and what you're not going to do really opens up those doors for sharing the gospel and, and really just listening listening to people and be there to love them, ultimately, be there for them. I like it. Good. I don't need to say anything else now, but yes, my, you do. my world no, I'm kidding. <laughs> is a little different because I'm home and I, can I say butt? I wipe, you know, multiple butts a day, and so it looks a little bit different than what he does, and so... He is in the plumbing business, though, right? Similar. A little crossover. You know, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm giving snacks out all day, and can we go outside? Okay, now I'm hot. Let's go inside. Where's my water? This, that, and the other. And um, I could, you know, turn that into what am I doing? I have no purpose. All I'm doing is these two little kids and whatever they need all day long. But Dix and I have been talking, and it's not what I'm doing. It's how we do it and why we do it. Um, you know, Colossians talks about whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. So I, we moved here two years ago, um, and I my life looked a lot different. I was working and doing very well and knew, you know, was moving. I was a school counselor um, and moving towards doing some county leadership stuff, and God said, no, I want you home. And so now <laughs> it's just different and still true that whatever you do, you work heartily for the Lord. So, um, yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah, hold on to that one more time. We have one more question. So thank you guys for sharing that. And Because uh, I think that is the question that we, we need to ask on a daily basis. Like, not just like what is the difference that Jesus is making for me right now in this circumstance, but what is he using in me to make a difference for other people? Because if my faith is just private, then that's not real faith. That's that's something else. And so faith is to be shared and explored. So thank you guys for that. So our last question is like, okay, where you guys are right now, uh, working mom, taking care of kids, and they're in that active stage. We feel you. Um, and then also in the plumbing and construction business, like how can we pray for you best right now? <laughs> this is really hard because we could ask for, you know, specific, like pray for, I don't know. Kids starting kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, as I've thought about this, I think pray for our stewardship of our time, um, because when we moved here, we realized how the Lord really wanted us to slow down, um, and it's a natural tendency for us humans to want to fill our time and feel like we're doing more and doing more and, you know, doing the right thing, but just that we fill our time, if that's what he wants us to do, with good things for his glory, not mm. for our accomplishment or our good job, our pat on the back, but that our time would be filled with things that would further the kingdom. Mm, I like it. That's good. Now, is it your turn? I, I've got one. You can hold on to that as long as you want. Um, man, yeah, let's, let's pray for you guys. Um, if you would, if, you'll got, if you guys will just sit there in the silence of the moment and pray for them first, um, and then I'm going to put no color on the spot um, from where he is. You don't have to stand up or come up here. You can just pray loudly from back there. You need a mic? Nope, you're good. Yeah, so he can just pray from back there. Because Neil's uh, their community group leader, and what's that? What? You're whispering. 
No, I don't think he's on pain medicine. Is he? Man, this is going to be a great prayer. Yeah, we prayed for Neil last week because he had back surgery, so make sure you see him, and if you hug him, hug him high. Um, but yeah, we're glad that you're here, and we're going to utilize you while you're here. Uh, so take a moment, if we'll just pray for them silently, and then Neil will close us out from back there, and we no telling what we may hear. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. We trust, we trust the Lord for his provision, Jehovah Jireh. Thank you. All right. So let's pray together, and then Neil, you can pray whenever, whenever you're ready. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So this morning, we are uh, continuing our series in Mark, and I'm going to grab a table. Thank you guys for carrying the stools. That's, that's a big help. It is. That sounded sarcastic, as my daughter would say, but it wasn't. It was, it was legit. Um, and, and I've got to tell you, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, uh, we're just kind of taking it, you know, line by line each week until we're done with Mark, and, uh, and it, it's going to be a while because we're in chapter five, and I feel like we've, we've been here for about six months already, and that's, that's okay. Um, this passage this morning, I will admit, there are a couple places in it that just make me scratch my head, and, and that's okay. Like, I just want to say from, from the get-go, even as a pastor, um, and I've been following Jesus a long time, and I feel like I know far more now than I did at six uh, when he, when he called me to redemption. Like, even I've been following Jesus for a long time, studying scripture for a long time, there are still places that make me scratch my head, and that's okay. Um, even if we're looking uh, last week, as we talked about, like, Jesus in the storm and our faith in the storm and, and what that looks like, what it could look like, um, we have to just kind of admit, like, even in the places to where we may not have a great, clear picture on everything, if we have a beautiful, clear picture on the goodness of God, uh, the sovereignty of God, the wholeness and the fullness of God, those places that make us scratch our head, they're okay. Um, and so we're going to look at this passage today together, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And this is kind of a continuation of where we were last week um, in the sense that even though the scribes chose to, to break the chapter and start a new chapter on chapter 5, it's still kind of a continuation the way that Mark is talking about like one thing in particular in these two passages, and that's just like Jesus' power on display to do crazy, amazing, magnificent things. Last week we saw that in the midst of a storm, when the disciples were scared to death and they were seasoned, they knew what the water looked like, they knew what the waves looked like, but in this sense they were scared out of their mind. They were like, do you not care that we're about to drown? You know, and Jesus basically in a word, you know, it was almost like the, just like the, the equality of him just going, shh, everything just stopped. Pretty amazing. You know, that he can do that with the wind and the waves. Today, he's going to display his power in a different way, but it's, it's just as magnificent, but the scope is a little bit different. And again, there are a few places in this passage, and I'll, and I'll just kind of fess them up to you when we get there, that just kind of make me go, you know what, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the things that I do know, they speak louder than the things that we don't. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Chapter 5, verse 1. God, we love you. We thank you today for loving us. We thank you, God, for your word. That is more than sufficient to guide us to, to know who you are, um, who we are in light of you, and what you desire of us. God, thank you for speaking through it. God, thank you for not just speaking through it, but, um, but God speaking to us through your word. Father, I pray that we look at it well today, that we don't add anything or take anything away, and that it's your voice that would be the loudest one in the room. Um, and God, I pray that you use it to make us look more and more like the bride that your son desires and deserves. Uh, God, thank you for today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're just going to read through verses 1 through 20, and then we'll kind of break it down and, and, and look at what it means for us. So chapter 5, verse 1, says, They came to the other side of the sea, that would be the Sea of Galilee, to the country of Gerasenes. 
When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw that Jesus was afar, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, but he did not prevent him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So, this is kind of one of these behind the behind the you know scenes kind of a deal. As as a pastor and as someone who's kind of a, a nerd when it comes to scripture, like because I, I do like I enjoy I enjoy reading the Bible and I enjoy like trying to figure out what was going on and, and seeking God's God's will in that. But I also love like the historic the history, not the history, but that one too. But the history behind it. Like the historical, the cultural, the physical, all those things that are pointing us towards the, what the author was trying to say. And in these 20 verses, like you could have a semester's class on the cultural things that were going on, the historical things that were going on, the physical landmarks. I'm going to do my best not to do that today to you because you, you might not like that or enjoy that. Maybe two of you would, but the rest of you, you'd be like, this guy's boring. So I'm doing my best to winnow it down to the things that we need to hear. And so this is what happened. Last week, we saw that uh, Jesus and his disciples, they were getting into the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, and as they crossed, they went from one very specific region to another, one specific region being a Jewish-populated region where the people of God lived, the, the people that knew the Torah, the people that knew the law, the people that knew this one true God, at least from a growing up around him and stories of him perspective. But then as soon as they crossed the sea, they landed in another region. And it wasn't so much about the dirt being different, but it was about the people being different, the culture of the people being different. They did not follow after the one true God. They didn't care about the one true God. In the terms of Scripture, they would be Gentile. They were non-God-fearing people. And their lives, as a result, looked vastly different. One of the things that we can see right off the bat is there were pigs. Like, if you know anything about, like, scriptural times, like, Jewish people would not have been around pigs. Go all the way back to Levitical law, we would see that pigs were unclean, not just unclean to eat, but unclean to farm, unclean to herd, unclean to have around. They were just not clean animals. I love bacon. Thank you for the freedom in Jesus today. I love bacon. But anyway, these people would not have loved bacon. They would have tried to avoid it. And so it's, it's interesting to note 
Like early on here, even though salvation was of the Jews, from the Jews, to the Jews, uh, God also had a plan for those who did not have this cultural perspective on the one true God, for them to hear the goodness of God, for them to experience the grace of God, for God's mercy to be on display to them. But in order for that to happen, they had to see and they had to hear. But this was a completely different scenario, completely different playing field, completely different world. And so it starts out, it says, uh, when they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, this was kind of a region. If you go and look at Matthew and Luke, uh, a couple of them are going to pinpoint it a little bit closer. But it was basically the town that was closest to the seashore. As soon as he got off the boat, he was met by this guy. And not just any guy. He was met by this guy. He lived in the tombs. He lived in caves carved out of a mountain where they would put bodies. He was most likely naked. Um, he, was, he had shackles left on him, but the chains were gone. He was cut up. He was filthy. He was cray in all possible ways. This guy was just, man, he was out there. Nobody wanted him around. They were afraid of him. And when he sees Jesus, he makes a beeline and runs right for him. And so it went from disciples on a boat, do you not care that we're perishing? Shh, peace be still. Everything should be fine. And then as soon as they hit the shore... A man possessed by thousands of demons comes running right towards Jesus. Again, last week, just a few lines ago, Jesus' power on display. Today, same thing, different setting. And so this man comes out, and he, he, he runs right towards Jesus. He immediately identifies Jesus, not as teacher, not as rabbi. He even used terms that the disciples weren't using yet. The teachers may have called him teacher, I mean, the, the disciples may have called him teacher with affection, Rabboni, Rabbani, but this guy, this guy possessed by a legion of, of demons, he calls him son of the most high. And so we automatically see that, again, kind of like the first chapter in Mark in which there were several sources identifying Jesus as not just the son of a carpenter, not just a normal man, not just a prophet, but something much more. Now, even a legion of demons is looking at him and like, you're actually the son of God. What are you doing here? And so things are just, they're just crazy. And so, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, the exchange that makes me scratch my head, or the first thing that makes me scratch my head is the, is the exchange that we see, starting in verse 8, says, For he was saying to him, Jesus, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus, upon seeing the man, was already like, look, demons, you got to get out. Leave. Go. And then the demons and Jesus speak. They have a conversation. It's just an interesting place. Like, this is, this is just a different scenario than we see in the rest of Scripture. Most of the time, Jesus sees a person with a demon. He may have a conversation with people around him, but it's just like, time for you to go, and gone, gone. But in this case, they have an exchange. They actually talk. The demons recognize Jesus. They see who he is, and, and they start to kind of go back and forth because Jesus starts saying, he's like, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, he said, what's your name? And this is where it gets crazy. Like, I've already kind of given it away, but, you know, a lot of scribes through the years have capitalized legion as a name proper, but it was more a description of what was going on inside of the man, and the guy just says, uh, we are legion, or we are many. Now, a legion at the time would have been used to describe like a Roman garrison of soldiers, like five to 6,000 troops, and so he's not actually literally saying there's five or 6,000 demons in here, but he's like, hey, there's a lot. There's a lot in this man that's speaking to you right now, thousands. And so remember last week, Last week, it was just, shh, peace be still. Winds and waves stopped. But on this account, like, you know, it's not just a battle of flesh and bone that we're up against, things like that, but it's like of a spiritual nature. Now, Jesus is face-to-face -face with thousands, thousands, 
thousands of demons talking to him, staring at him, looking at him, probably shaking their fists or shaking their entire body, naked, cut up, smelly, scary, screaming right in the front of Jesus. And I also find it very interesting, through this whole text, you don't hear the disciples say anything. Now, I can't say for a fact what's going on here, but I can say they're, they're not saying anything because I'm wondering if they're all kind of cowered in behind Jesus who had just stopped the winds and the waves, and they were like, who is this guy? And now they see this, and they were like, yeah, we're just going to stay behind him. But either way, they don't say anything. So this legion identifies himself. He's like, we, we are legion. We are many. We are many. It says, my name is Legion, we are many. And in verse 10, it says, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The other uh, synoptic gospels are going to say, like, region, or they also say, we beg you, don't send us into the abyss. You know, a lot of early historians are going to agree that when, uh, when you're reading about demon possession, because it's real, I know we don't see it a whole lot in our U.S. context, or maybe we do and we just don't recognize it. It's entirely real, but most of the historians at this time believe that it looked like demons were kind of uh, assigned to a given area a place, a region, from a, a strategy, strategy standpoint from Satan, like, you're going to be here, and you're going to be my emissaries here. Not emissaries of good, emissaries of bad. And they were like, please, don't send us out of this region, or maybe don't send us into the abyss. Still leave us here in this plain, so to speak. It says they begged. And here comes the other head-scratcher for me, because like, I, I don't understand what happens next. I have a theory, but I, I don't understand. And so after that, they said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And they begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country or the region or not to send them into the abyss, according to Luke. And it says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him. They said, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. I've read, I've read all of this many times. I don't know where that came from. I'm like, really? Send us into the pigs. Okay. That's just, I mean, that's out of left field. You know, really, really weird. But that's, that's what they asked. They are like, send us into the pigs. Send us into the pigs. And, and the first couple times I would read this, I was like, Jesus isn't going to do that. He's, not, you know, he's obviously not going to do that. But this is what happens. They beg him, send him into the pigs. And so he does it. So, so he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, comma. So he did. He said, don't, don't send us out of the region. Don't, don't send us into the abyss. Don't let us leave here. Just... Those pigs over there, we'll take those. And then in a moment, Jesus agreed. It's crazy. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But he did. And as soon as he did, this is what the pigs did. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Read this for years. It's all of it made me just kind of go, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Here, here's, my, here's my theory now. They're in a different place. Okay, need is the same. Need to see, need to understand, need to comprehend this Christ, right? Need to be revealed. I think the value of them seeing that God took care of the torment exceeded the value of the pigs. The value of them seeing with their own eyes that Jesus took care of the torment of the enemy at hand far exceeded the value of the pigs. Because let's be honest, the value of 2,000 pigs... That was probably a lot. Now, the Jews, trash. Gentiles, bacon. That's good stuff. Sue me. Man on a biscuit, really good. I'm, I'm probably more of a Gentile in that sense, but either way, I've been free, and so I'm good. But either way, like the value of those pigs, it was high. But I think at the moment, Jesus realized that his mission was to redeem 
one life at a time and the value of that redemption that could be a result of people seeing that Jesus had the power even over these demons who had been tormenting their entire village for years, living in the catacombs, living like a crazy man, scaring people to death. The value of that far exceeded the value of a herd of pigs. Move on. It says the herdsmen fled into the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had just happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, or the formerly demon-possessed, oppressed man, the one who had just had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. I believe that if Jesus had just said, demons, be gone, get out, same effect for the man, right? But I think the people would have doubted, well, where did they go? What did he do? Do we still need to be afraid? Do we still need to stay away from this place? Do we still need to think that it could happen to us? But I think what Jesus really wanted to show them is not only is this man fixed, but your fears, they can be assuaged. They can be put aside so you don't have to worry about this happening to you too. Redemption is not just for this man, but it's also available for you. The chains that once bound this man or tried to bind this man, they're no longer applicable and they don't have to be applicable to you. They got to see it with their eyes. They got to hear it with their ears. They got to perceive it in proximity. Jesus just doesn't control the wind and the waves. But, man, he has power over the oppression that can come after us. That's crazy. Remember, the whole point of this book of Mark is like, this is the Jesus that we need. And this is. Like, this is the Jesus that we need. Not just the one that can, peace, you know, wind and waves stop, but the things that come at us that try to kill us, destroy us, and that is Satan himself. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he might devour. In this one moment, in a Gentile region, and they would say, really didn't even believe in the one true God. Jesus, in a moment, in a very, very dramatic fashion, said, you can trust me. You can believe in me. You can value my words. You can value my presence. It's amazing. Like, sometimes I read the Bible and I'm just like, yeah, that's good. But if you stop for a minute and you transport yourself back to this place, like you're standing in a graveyard, okay, near an ocean, and all this, just all of this happens. Like, you can't read this and think, that's not nuts. Like, it is. It's crazy. And that's Jesus. And so he goes on. I'll get to my next head scratcher in just a second. So they see this man sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid. I think this is a word that we see very often in Scripture, and we just think, oh, that was awe. That was respect. No, no, no. They were scared. They were scared. Understand the, just the category of miracle that Jesus had just performed was so big that even though it was good, people looked at it, and they're like, man, that scares me to death. Very same response the disciples just had, by the way, in the boat. Same thing, when Jesus, when waves stopped, they were scared. They had some respect there because they knew them. They were both scared. They were like, who is this guy? We've been following him, some of us, for a couple years now, a year and a half. Thought we knew him. I don't know what this is. They were scared. I think the other thing that we do is we, we make the work of Jesus so sterile sometimes that we forget it's incredibly big. And it's incredibly miraculous. And it, it should defy our processes of logic, the things that Jesus does. Because that's the business he's in. Like, to be honest, like Jesus' business, the way that Jesus operates is, is not logic-driven. Like, it's not. 
Like, we're, we're called to come and reason with him, but at the end of the day, we're going to be like, your way's way higher than mine. I don't understand. I don't get it, but I trust you that what you're doing is for the good of those who love you, called according to your purpose, according to Romans 8. Like, yes, I, I trust you in that, but I don't understand. And it's even in these places where we scratch our head and we're like, we don't fully get it. I still trust your goodness, God. They see it and they're like, man, that was crazy enough. That scares me a little bit. I think if the power of God hasn't scared us in a good way, or just in a general way, maybe we haven't seen it. Or maybe we haven't thought about it. Maybe we've, we've put it in a nice, neat little cafeteria tray and say, hey, this is completely understandable. No, it's not. No, it's not. And by the way, that's not the God we want. We don't want the God that we can explain. We don't want the Savior that we can rationalize. No, no, no. We want grace. We want mercy. Two things in which humanity declares that we really don't have. We may say we do, but the way that God displays it, the way that Jesus does it, that's not us. We want a God that scares us, like we do, like we need that. Maybe you've never said that out loud, but in reading this and in looking at the things that Jesus does, I can honestly say that. Like, I want a God that scares me a little bit. I do. Because I don't want to be able to do the things that he can do. Because if I can, then he's really not God. He's just a good guy with maybe some more skills and talents that I have or haven't developed yet. But that's not him. God's scary. That's okay. He's also good. And that's okay. We get to hold those at the same time. So they looked at him. They saw this sane man standing there who had formerly been crazy, formerly been naked, formerly been scary. And he's just sitting there, and it says they were afraid. Verse 16, and it says those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They're like, look, what you did, a little scary. Can you go now? That was their response. That was their response. And I know we're judging them right now. We're like, well, how dare you? How dare you, Bill? How dare you, Bob, Susan? That was Jesus. Man, I think it's a natural human response sometimes. When we see God do something so miraculous, it should scare us to the point where we're like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but God can work with that. He really can. They're like, we, we just want you to, to leave. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Here's the other head-scratcher part for me. Because if you've been around me a little bit, you know, one of my favorite words is discipleship. Like, I, you know, even our hourglass deal. Like, God pours into us, trickles down, we flip it over, we pour into someone else. We replicate ourselves and other people, and not we're replicating ourselves, we're replicating Jesus. That is the way that he intended for his kingdom to grow. He didn't intend for it to grow at big tent revivals, which they're okay, but he intended it to grow from one person to another. My story to yours, God working through that, Jesus drawing you out of your mire and muck, redeeming you by grace through faith, but not at the words of some big extravagant show, but just at the words of some spirit-led person sharing their story. Okay, discipleship right there. Anyway, sorry. Soapbox off. So this passage right here in this place, it does make me scratch my head a little bit. All of that to say, like this man who had just been healed, he says, I want to follow you. Can I go with you? Can I be one of yours? And this shocks me right here. Jesus says no. I mean, he does. He says no. And that, on the surface, like I read that, I'm like, I don't don't get it. Because Jesus, you know, you've, you've called people Hey, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. We talk about that a lot. It's the way we define a disciple. You know, someone that's following Jesus, somebody that's changed by Jesus, someone that's on mission for Jesus. Hey, with Jesus, that, that's, that's a disciple. This guy wanted that. He's like, I, I want to do that. I want to be like one of those 12 right there in the boat and those other guys that are just kind of hanging out with you, your entourage. And he said, no. Nope. That baffles me a little bit. 
until he says this. Verse 19, it says, He did not permit him, uh, but said to him, here we go. He said, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Just like the value of people seeing that Jesus had fixed the enemy, even at the cost of the pigs, in this place, the value was greater for the man to go home to a bunch of pagan Gentiles and tell them that God is real and he just fixed him. It was more valuable than the man following him. It's about value on this day. It's about value. He said, this is what I want you to do. There'll be time to follow me later. Like I read that as subtext. Yeah, you, you can, and as a matter of fact, you can even follow me if you're not with me. By the way, we get to do that very often. Like we're not physically with Jesus. Like the same way that disciples were. Now granted, the, the Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. The temple of the living God is no longer made with bricks and mortar and steeples and anything like that. It's made of human flesh and bone. A soul that is eternal. Praise the Lord Almighty that God lives in me because I've given myself over to him as a result of by grace through faith. So I get to walk with Jesus. But this man right here, Jesus said, no, no, no. The most valuable thing for you to do right now is you go home to your friends and your family and you tell them what I've done so that they can know I'm alive. I'm real, and they may have an opportunity to be in awe just like you. And so he did. And it says he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, we'll get to that in a second, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Decapolis, 10 cities. So by the way, he didn't just go home. He didn't, no, he went on tour. He did. He went on tour to a pagan nation who didn't believe in the one true God. They may have worshipped anything from rocks to moss, and he went to every city, all ten of them. And they probably knew exactly who he was. They were like, hey, you, you, you're that crazy guy that scared my kids. You know, it's like Halloween every day for you. you. You're that guy. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Either way, he told them who he was, he told them who God was, and he told them what, they, what he had done, and it says they all marveled. We say this, man, and we'll continue to say it, and I bet you even know what I'm about to say next if you know me. Your story is incredibly valuable. Yours, it is about value. Like I said, right here, it's, in, it's entirely about value. Yes, knowing Scripture, high value. Knowing the way God works, high value. Knowing the gospel in words, high value. But before all of that, your story, what God has done in you, where he brought you from to where he brought you to, and where he has you going, incredibly high value. The same words to this man who had formerly been possessed by demons, scared everyone to death, are the same words that we need to hear every single day. Go home to your friends friends, your family, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. The result can be the same. The result can be the same. Because in a life where we're creeping towards post-Christian, we're not there yet. I don't care what anyone says. We can still hear Jesus on the radio. We're not post-Christian, but we're getting close. No one can argue with the validity and the truth of your story. Because even in a world of subjective truth, when we say, your truth is your truth, but it might not be my truth, that's an open door for me to say, well, here's my truth. And while we know that truth is not subjective, it is concrete, there is one true God, there is only one Savior, there's one indwelling spirit, and there's only one way to them, we know that, they don't, but we get to share it. Even in a world that says that truth is not real, they say yours is, so just share. Go home to your family. Tell them what I've done for you and how I had mercy on you. We get to speak truth and people get to hear and then the spirit has an opportunity to work 
Romans 10, for faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. How beautiful are the feet of those who take the good news. The good news is confined to my story. Now, it goes well beyond, but it's there. Like if I ever once saw Jesus as better than my sin, if I ever once saw Jesus as the only solution, it's, it's there. It's in my story. And I know I love my four parts of talking about what was my life like before Jesus, how did he grab my attention, how did I respond, and what's my life been like since. If you like those four parts, that's great. But if you don't, that's okay too. But find a way to share your story and find people to hear it. Soapbox I'm not getting off of. By the way, he said, be my witnesses. That just means, hey, tell of what you've seen. Tell of what you've heard. Tell of what you've experienced. It doesn't say memorize a, memorize a plan. Know your story. I'm not saying you shouldn't memorize a plan. If that's what you need to do, that's great. I'd say write the gospel to yourself every single day so that you know it well, so that you're incredibly versed. But man, before that, you've got a story nobody can argue with. I think the first step in doing that is, man, we need to remember Jesus' miracle in our life. Like maybe you weren't roaming from cave to cave, you know, remnants of shackles on you. Maybe that wasn't you, but I guarantee there was a place, there was a time you did not know Jesus. What'd that look like? And remember what it was, how it all transpired, what transgressed from him to bring you from that to where you are now. What, what was that? What was that story? Remember the miracle. And I think to a degree we need to look at it in the same terms like, because again, God's miracles should scare us a little bit. And if we've made them mundane, that's on us, not on God. The fact that he can take me from stranger and alien to God and make me family, it should not happen. It should defy logic. It should not make sense. Because I can't earn this. No matter how good I am, according to God, to worldly standards, I, I can't earn this. Even especially according to God's standards, there's no way that I can earn fellowship with God. There's no way that I can work my way into being known by God and knowing God. I can't work my way there. Only Jesus could, his righteousness, imbued to me by grace through faith. That's the only way. And that is a huge, ridiculous, mind-boggling, heart-breaking, earth-shattering mystery. But he does it. And we need to remember it. And we need to see it as a miracle. The same way in which these people looked at this man and they were like, mm, that's amazing, but it's a little scary. I think we need to look at it and be like, God, you know what? It's pretty crazy you did that. Because I know me and I know you. We don't match. I'm an insult to you, but you chose to make me yours. It's crazy. I don't care how good you are. Like, I don't care. The best of you. You take the three best of you and put you in a room and make one amalgamation of a human being. You're, you're still not good enough. Still not good enough. Not compared to God. Try again, holy, 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 separate, 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 better, 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 completely other than. Like, we can't, we can't match up to that. There's no way. Miracle. Huge. Peace be still, shh, pretty awesome. Demon come out, go into the pigs, pretty awesome. Taking me from death to life, to use a word of my kids, is awesomer. More awesomer. Most awesomest. It's redundant speech, by the way, if you didn't catch that. But either way, that's all right. My kids are fine with it. It's pretty amazing. Remember the miracle of your salvation. Remember the miracle of your salvation. Um, like, we, we, we retell stories all the time. Like, you, you meet a couple for the first time, they find out you're married, what's the first thing they ask? How'd you meet? We tell that story. You talk about your job? Yeah, you know, hey, I do this. Hey, man, I, I, I sell toilets. Yeah, how'd you get that job? We tell stories. Hey, how are you where you are right now? Well, let me tell you that story, too. We're a culture of stories. When we're surrounded by stories. I mean, like fake reality TV stories. They're on all the time. Kardashians have stories. They tell them. We tell ours. They're far better. 
Just saying. I don't even know if they're still on TV. Never watched a single episode, and I'm pretty proud of that. But either way, I think they tell stories. We're a culture of stories. Man, tell the right ones. Tell all of them, but man, especially the ones that are miraculous, tell that story. Remember. And it is. It is just as simple. It's like, hey, how did you and your wife meet? Or how did you and your husband meet? Just like that. How did you and Jesus meet? Well, here it is. Maybe they didn't ask the question. We can tell them anyway. It's okay. I know in a culture that says you can't force your views on anyone, we're not forcing our views on anyone. We're exposing people to grace. And that's okay. We expose our kids to grace. That's okay. Train them in the way that they should go. That's okay. Don't let the world tell you that that's not okay. It's entirely okay. As a matter of fact, it's being obedient to God. This God who brought you from death to life, he told you to do that. And that's obedience. And the reason that we're obedient is because we have faith that we know that his way is better than mine. It's okay. Tell your story. Remember your story. Celebrate your story. Uh, the second thing for this is, um, man, even in that story, remember, what did God free me from? Like this guy, he was freed from being oppressed by demons. Not just oppressed, but inhabited by thousands of demons. Thousands of demons. I guarantee you he told that story. As a matter of fact, we see 10 different cities. He went, Deca, 10, capitalist cities. He went to 10 different ones, told that story. They all marveled. Where did you come from? Where did God bring you from? And maybe a lot of you are sitting there, well, I, you know, I wasn't knocking over banks before I was five, and God truly redeemed me at the age of five. That's great. Good for you. Hey, where could you have been? If not for God, where, where might you have been? You know your sin predilections. Just imagine if they were unchecked by the Holy Spirit. Where would that have taken you? Crazy places. God saved you for it, from it before you got there. God brought you out of that before you ever experienced it. Praise him for that every single day and share that story. And I think the third part of this is after we remember, after we remember where God brought us from, where he brought us to, where he's taking us to ultimately, um, man, I think we say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I have a miraculous story to share. Thank you, God, that I have people that you've actually placed in my life who are primed and ready to listen to my story, that you may use my story to make them united with you just like you did with me. Not my job to save them, but it is my job to share, and it's my privilege to get to watch. Thank God for the story. Thank God for where he brought you from, where he brought you to. We can't remember without being like, oh, man, God, you know what? Pretty crazy, a little bit scary, very miraculous. Thank you for that. We call that worship. We call that praise. We call that response. We're good with that. You can do it with words that you sing, or you can actually do it with words that you pray. Thank you, God, for saving my sorry rear end. Thank you, God, for redeeming someone that should not have been redeemable. Thank you, God, for giving me a story to tell that's a miracle. It's a miracle. And then the fourth, this is super practical, but I think it's incredibly real. Write it down. If you haven't done that, Seriously, if you're a Christ follower and you expect to share your story, this is called being prepared. This is not being religious. This is, man, this is just being prepared. Be like a Boy Scout here. Write your story down. You haven't written it down before? Write it down. Use those four parts if you want to. What was my life like before Jesus? How did he grab my attention? How did I respond? What's my life been like since? Just write it down. And don't sugarcoat it. Write down the real version. Okay, we're not talking about the Instagram version. We're talking about all of it. Good, bad, ugly, miraculous, all of those things. Write it down. And then after you write it down, share it with another believer. First, share it with another believer. We do that in community groups from time to time. Like we talk about, like we share our stories in community groups. We do that on, on third Sundays every now and then. But hey, maybe over coffee, maybe while freezing your rear end off at a coffee shop with a guy that's twice as tall as you, maybe share a story, your story, or listen to theirs. Literally, I think he is twice as tall as me. But that's okay. Every inch, you're awesome, including that stash. Write it down, share that story, and then after that, 
hey, remember these names that we've been talking about and we're going to keep talking about, the names that you wrote down of three people who are far from Jesus but close to you that I get to pray for, that our leadership gets to pray for, that you get to pray for. You have the other half of the card. If you don't, I'd love to give you one of these fancy index cards that you can write three names down on and tear it in half. Pray for opportunities to share your story with them. Just, just your story. You're well-versed in your story. You know where you came from. You know what God's done. Hopefully you're saying thank you, God, for it. And after that, you've written it down, you've told it to another, uh, another believer so that they can worship and thank God with you. Man, somebody that doesn't know Jesus, they need to hear it. They need to hear it so that they can marvel, so that God can use it to redeem them. Because, you know, stories are only good if they're shared. It's kind of like a funny movie, right? Like, funny movies are good when you watch them by yourself. They're okay. But, man, Ricky Bobby's a whole lot funnier when you watch it with somebody else, right? Sorry, that's a terrible movie, but it's really funny. Um, your story, it's not meant to be private. It's not meant to be a monologue for an audience of just me. No, no, no. God redeemed you for your glory and your benefit, but also so that his name could be made great and his kingdom could grow. That's your story. That's my story. I love, I love the last line of this after he says, can I go with you? And Jesus denies him. He just says, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So simple. Incredibly doable, but incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for places that, and things that maybe we don't understand, but you use anyway. And God, we thank you that you're not done with miracles. For every life that responds to your gospel, every life that experiences you by grace through faith, God, it's another miracle and a story worth telling. Thank you for a room full of people with stories worth telling. And God, thank you for a room of like potential grace waiting, waiting to be displayed and waiting to be experienced in the lives that are around us. God, I pray that we would celebrate the fact that you brought us from death to life, from stranger and alien to your kid and brought us into your home. God, I pray that we would celebrate it, but I pray that we would celebrate it to the point that we need to speak of it, that we need to relay it to other people, believers, and those who do not yet know you, and God, that you would use it. God, I pray that the, the kingdom would grow as a result of the change that you have done in the lives of the people of this church. God, that we wouldn't rely on second-hand information, but God, we would rely on what you've done in us in order that we may convey your good news to others. Starting in our homes, starting with our friends, those we work with, those that we, that we, we have fun with, those that we just know. God, I pray that we would celebrate, I pray we would be obedient. And God, I pray that you would grow the seed that rests in our story. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is a little bit scary, but he's entirely good. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.